0: For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled, The Ministry of the High Priest on the Day of Atonement. Mr. Andrews. Mm -hmm. Do you truly feel blessed today? I hope you do. There's an interesting introduction to all of Paul, most of all of Paul's writings. And I didn't put this in for Brian to pick up. But as they were reading Ephesians, it dawned on me, grace be to you and to me, of course, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And today, we are truly blessed to be a part of that ongoing plan that God has for all of mankind and even though in the population of the world we probably are a very small minority but in yet in God's eyes we are the ones that he wants to bring along into his kingdom we read his plan in Leviticus the 23rd chapter And it's so easy for people to kind of ignore the fact that when the Lord spoke to Moses, he said, speak to the children of Israel, in verse 2, and say to them concerning the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy assemblies, convocations, times to get together, times in which you are to come before God. That's how this comes out. This is how God wants it. These are times set aside by God. Holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Now sometimes it seems strange, doesn't it, that we fast on a day in the middle of a time in which the trumpet was blown and we had the the, uh, potlucks and everything and we had that feast. And right after as we go to the Feast of Tabernacles and we rejoice and we eat and we drink and we, we have all of those things I think it is wonderful that God says okay, stop I want to help you to understand some things because there's some messages here that you need to understand about your own selves and especially about how weak we are <laughs> you know, 24 hours Oh, by the time that ends, comes up, my headache is starting to, to really give it because I'm a heavy coffee drinker. And so consequently, <laughs> I don't like to quit, uh, but it, it, it does seem to wear on me after a while. And so we realize how weak we are. And yet God has chosen us. He's reached out and He's called us to His plan. And He's opened and revealed that plan in these few pages and then expands on it in his own words in the book down through, that has come down through the ages. We are so blessed to be able to comprehend even to the fraction of what we comprehend of these days that he has set aside for us. The Day of Atonement. And I've I would like to reread this, and I know Ken did, but I'd like to reread this and focus on a couple of points here. Let me get my notes open so I make sure I don't miss anything. Sometimes I write something down and, or a verse or something, and um, oops, I guess I better get to the right place here. Okay, there we are. In verse 27, we read, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation to you and you shall afflict your souls. And Matt talked about fasting. Afflicting our souls. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So we also gave that offering. You shall do no work in that same day. It shall be a day of atonement to make an atonement for you. And it's interesting those words let me find my handy-dandy um, thing here, Yom Kippur. And how close those two words are, um, if it'll come up here, and I'll get back there. I should have had this thing up and running here, but I didn't, so just give me a second. And 23, oops, 22. 20, my fingers are too big. And 27. The the word here in this, um, it's a day, a yom, and of atonement, kippur. It means atonement, uh, kippur, day of atonement. To make an atonement, in in chapter 16, that verse, that word is used over and over again. Essentially, to make an atonement is actually just one word. It is Kafar, which is um, very similar to, to, to Kipure. It is to cover, to purge, to make an atonement, to make a reconciliation, to cover over with pitch. That's the first place that you find this particular word, where Noah covered the ark with Kafar pitch. <laughs> so In God's wisdom, he wants to cover over something. And so this is a day of covering over something. You shall shall not do any work in that same day. For it's a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever shoal that shall be that does any work on that same day, the same soul shall, uh, will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. And so, you know, some people say, oh, well, that's those old Jewish things. And yet there is so much in understanding what God has for us and the plan that he has set aside and has everything to do with the high priest. In Leviticus, the 16th chapter, and Ken talked about this a little bit. We find some, a ritual, a thing that's, that is done every year on the Day of Atonement by the Israelites, and it was all about the high priest, even though a lot of it has to do with animal sacrifices, and things we find that the work that is done and I have knocked over the horn <laughs> the work that is done is done all by the high priest this is his day Aaron was the very first high priest and he came by that because God chose the, Lev- uh, the Levites to be his uh, ministers to do the, the, the what needed to be done in the tabernacle Aaron became the first high priest, and every son after that would be a high priest. It went from father to son to, you know, father to son, down through the time. And so the Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron, your brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. It was important before he went in there that he had sin offerings and all these things before he entered into the Holy of Holies. It was important because he could lose his life. God took this Holy of Holies very seriously. There was a veil that kept anyone from looking. In fact, it was a very heavy veil that kept anyone from looking in. And only on the Day of Atonement was there a sacrifice and an entry into the Holy of Holies. Any other time, the curtains were laid over. There was a protection against anyone seeing things in there. Although at one time, the... The seat got stolen, and that's another story. But for the most part, this was what God has set up. And I don't want to go through the whole story because I have a high priest that I want to talk about today, and it's not Aaron. Although this was the beginning, and it was a type looking forward into a time when we, brethren, would have a great high priest. So let's read towards the end of this, because I don't want to leave this hanging. Let's go to verse 29. This shall be a statue forever to you, that in the t- seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourns among you. For in that day shall the priest make an atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Well, that word, of course, that we just talked about was a covering, to cover the sins up. Think about... Let's talk about David a minute. David's sin was adultery, Bathsheba, and murder, essentially, (laughs) Uh, even though he didn't physically kill... Uriah. He did send him out to be killed. And of course, it came back on him, didn't it? It came back. Nathan said, you know, you did this. And David understood, and he repented of it. And he lost a child because of it. But God still continued to work with him. But the sin was done. Uriah was dead. That baby was dead, the adultery was done, and that's what sin is all about. It cannot be taken back. And so for all of what was going on in Israel as they were traveling through the wildernesses and during all of the times, what were we finding? That there they they was were sin. We're going, you know, all, we all sin. And I'll get to that here in a little while. Because we have an advocate and we have someone that helps us with that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. To make an atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And so God had a way of taking care of those sins once a year. And of course there was the Passover and all of those things. Shall be a Sabbath rest to you. You shall afflict your souls by the statue forever and the priest whom you shall anoint whom he shall uh, consecrate to to minister in the priest's office in in his father's stead, shall make an atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priest and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting t- uh, statue to you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. So that happened on the day of atonement. And so what we find though is the tabernacle was put aside and a very um, beautiful temple was made. Solomon built a beautiful temple for the Holy of Holies and for that um, uh, mercy seat and all of that to sit in there. And it had a curtain in front of it, and it was a beautiful thing. But in 586 B.C., it was destroyed. No temple. Well, there was another one built. Ezra and Nehemiah and many got together, and they built another one. And what happened to it? What happened to the second one? In 70 AD, it was destroyed by the Romans. The first one was the Babylonians, the other one was the Romans. And so we have no tabernacle or anything in which they can do these. So we're kind of left, how do we we see? How do we do this? Well, we have a wonderful thing that happened. We have a high priest at the right hand of the Father. He was there constantly and continually. And I asked the question, what is he doing today? If this is the high priest's responsibility, which I think it is, what is Jesus doing today? Is he bringing our sins before the Father so that we can be covered through his blood? Let's look at the, a prophecy of this different priesthood. It's in Psalms 110, or 110, 1, 1, not that many Psalms, in 110. And it's interesting. It says, and I'm going to read the whole, the whole psalm, because it is a psalm about our Savior, the Messiah that was to come, and the power that he was to, be, was to receive. The Lord said to my Lord, sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we know that's where he sits today. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule you in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be willing in the day of your power in the beauties of the holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here's the prophecy of the new priesthood. Our Savior was not of the Levitical priesthood. We're going we're to be reading about that. Was not of the Levitical. So he had to be of a different priesthood. So the priesthood he is from or was uh, ordained into by God. Not by us, by God, is the Melchizedek priesthood. The Lord at your right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall dodge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the way. There shall he lift up his head. All prophecies, looking back and forward to our Savior. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, qualifying. You would think that it would be an automatic qualification, but there's a lot of scriptures that talk about Jesus' qualification. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter. I thought I could go the five hours, and you know, we got until 7.29. But I may not make it to 45 minutes. I'm I'm getting drier and drier and cotton-mouther and cotton-mouther. Anyway, let's see. Hopefully we'll be able to go on. He says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he should, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. No man takes this honor to himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Now, maybe later on, Aaron maybe thought differently about being the high priest, but it was a high calling, and he was anointed for it. So also, Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he said to him, You are my son, today have I begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, was strong crying and tears to him, that was able to save him from death and was heard that he feared though he was yet were a son yet he learned learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him that's us brethren that's us we obey God. We obey Jesus. We obey the things that are written in the Word. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. After the order of Melchizedek. In Romans, the third chapter, beginning of verse 23. I forget the right one. For all of sin, everybody knows this, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> That's true. we have all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith, in his blood, to declare his righteousness, for the remission of sins that are past and through the forbearance of God. That's what we're, this is all about. Our high priest and how he brings himself before the Father. I have, a, I have something I want to look at here in a minute. We're, we'll talk about it. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. In Romans, the fifth chapter, and beginning in verse 8. But God commends his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It is important that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father today. We are saved by His life. And it's very important to understand that. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, or you can put in parentheses reconciliation, redemption, all, all kinds of different things. But we have received that aton- atonement. I guess kind of deep there. I'm going to go on to First John the second chapter. That's for another time. First John, the second chapter of verses 1 through 3. My little children. I, some of the authors, like Paul and John, they always looked out like we were little children. And I think, I think in a sense we, we should come to God like little children and should have a childlike attitude in our heart. And that's what Jesus said. Those that come to God must come like little children. So John says, my little children, these things write unto you, you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. How important is it to have a defender, a defense attorney, at the right hand of the Father? Sometimes we might make a sin that we need to really get down on our knees and like David, fast and pray and ask God to forgive us for that particular sin and hope that we don't spend significant jail time because of that sin. You know, God can forgive, but we still might, in this society, we might actually serve the penalty. Some have. And repented, had to serve the the civil penalty for that. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, it is an interesting, and I'll go there too, I'll read that one. I can get over here and get this thing. Actually, I'm right there. Um, this word, propitiation, is an appeasing, uh, propitiating, the means of appeasing, uh, a propitiation. Hylmos. <laughs> Don't let me try and read Greek. Uh, it's all Greek to me. Anyway, he says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So it's important and Jesus said, not one uh, jittle, tittle, jot, or tittle of that, which is the Hebrew, all of the kind of, you know, things that are, that are written in Hebrew, is going to be done away until all is fulfilled. And that's not going to happen to all of humanity as spirit beings in the kingdom, and we're perfect. And we do not sin anymore. A scene in heaven. That might give us a little bit of an understanding of how Jesus comes before the Father at a certain instant. Uh, we don't have anything in the scriptures that really gives us a. Um, we know that he's at the right hand. We know that he. All of the things we've just read, and how he's uh, attained the priesthood of the Melchizedek priesthood, but kind of having a visual. Thing. How? What is he doing today? How is he um, coming before the Father and bringing all this? And so I begin to kind of work this into my mind. How? How would he do this? Well, the only place that I know where we find Jesus coming before the Father in a particular instance is where John is in the sea, on the Sea of Glass, and he is watching visually all the things that are about ready to happen on the earth. And what comes up is a very interesting scenario. In verse 1 it says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written inside, and, uh, inside on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? no man in heaven nor in earth, neither end of the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look therein. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Behold, I, I could almost feel the angel having this power. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And he came and took the book out of my right hand of him that sat uh, upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four... Let's see. Yeah, I, I missed a verse. Let's go back up to verse 6. I knew I did. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth through all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals. You are, uh, um, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and have made us to our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. And so here we have a scenario in which jesus comes as a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth to take the book so on the day of atonement how does he come before the the father on the day of atonement to cover our sins and redemption well let's look at some things we can go and we can find some very interesting things in the book of Hebrews. Because this is where we find out how Jesus now, today, is the high priest. In chapter 8 of Hebrews, now these things, and I'm kind of just breaking in as they were talking about this, um... uh, in in chapter 7. Now these things we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle with the Lord pitched and not man. Um, I'm giving a pause there so you can think about that a little bit. He is a minister he is a high priest, he is the minister of the sanctuary, he is also our advocate, he's a high priest, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched to not man. Remember, and I'll, I'll get ahead of myself, so I better just keep on reading because it says so in here. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is necessary for this man to have something also, uh, also to offer for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that these are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve to the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was saying, He that uh, you make all things according to the pattern showed to you in the mount." I even gave the Spirit to, to some of the craftsmen, so that they would do it correctly. It was so important to God this ta- this horrible tabernacle this temporary dwelling that god was was coming to while israel was camped around them around him was very interesting but now he has ordained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And if you look the word better up, it it can mean more excellent. Would you not think that Jesus would have a more excellent covenant with the Father? I think so. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second and here's the key finding fault with them they were physical they were sin sinful they 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 saw miracles and they they went their own way they wanted to go back into egypt they they did all kinds of things they murmured all the time we have a great a responsibility to come to a better understanding of what Jesus is doing today. That we not fall into the same um, situation that the Israelites were in. Because there will be no um, repentance for, for, for leaving this way. Um, I think those of us that really understand it, really understand the truth, know that God has given us. A, a true blessing in the understanding of His Word. We may not understand everything, but He has given us a true blessing in it. He says, uh, "Behold, the days come." Verse, uh, uh, verse eight again. Finishing. "Behold, the day comes," says the Lord. "When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt." because they continue not in my covenant, and are regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, with, the, with those days, uh, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And it shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first old. Now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. As And this kind of even looks forward into the Feast of Tabernacles, doesn't it? As we look to what um, God is going to continue to work uh, as he brings his kingdom to this earth and begins to work with uh, all of humanity and bringing Israel into, back into the, into the promised land. Um, the ver- uh, in chapter 9, he says, then verily the first covenant had the ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. And so the author, Paul, we think, is going through this very meticulously, helping us to understand what it looks like, what's going on which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, and over the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly or in detail. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way into the holy of falls was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Which was a figure for the time when the present in, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and different washings and carnal ordinances, imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, and this is the key, Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come. He sets at the right hand of the Father the things that are going on In the heavens today, he is very, he's privy to, he knows what's happening. He also understands and can go and see. Wow, he has some weaknesses, I know. Father, please forgive him when we come before him. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What powerful words are written in this book for you and I? Eternal redemption. Not just temporary redemption, not just the covering of our sins, but eternal redemption. That means eternal life in the kingdom of God. That means being... They're with them wherever they are. And they're going to come to the earth. Jesus is going to establish the kingdom on the earth. And so we're going to be with them. We're going to have eternal redemption. All of those things. He says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, sprinkling unclean, sac- sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, offering himself without spot to God, purge, purge your conscience from dead works to serving, to serve the living God. You know, it's a, when we read these words, we should be reminded in our own minds of the privilege that God has given us to come to understand this, and also the privilege that we have to go before the Father to come and worship before him. You know, it says we can go boldly before the throne. We don't have to, to, to be outside like the Israelites were. they were kind of out in the court while the high priest was doing the business on the day of atonement. And he would go in and sometimes they would have a rope on his leg down through the, worried that he might not make it back out if he did something wrong. We have, we're beyond that. We have a high priest. We can go to the very throne room when we get down on our knees or when we're sitting in prayer. Whatever we're, we're in a spiritual, prayerful mood, we have that opportunity to go before God. It's a beautiful thing that is written here through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, it says... For this cause, he is the mediator of this is a new. And the Testament is actually the same word as covenant. Those two words uh, seem to be used uh, in the Bible quite a bit in, in Hebrews. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which were called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So we have eternal redemption, we have eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after the men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkle both the book and all the people. You can look that up in Exodus 24, 6 through 8, if you'd like. Saying, this is the blood of, and it's actually the word testament, but it's uh, the covenant which God is enjoined to you. He made a covenant with Israel. And it was a covenant of blood. And, and, and if they'd have lived by it, they'd have been an example of the whole world. Because of unbelief, that's what the Bible says, unbelief. They did not believe the words that God had told them that He was working with them and and what He was doing with them. He was going to make them a great nation and they did not believe it. Moreover, He sprinkled the blood both of the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And you see how important it is for the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we might have forgiveness and remission of sins. It is therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. In the presence of God for us. That's his, that is what Jesus is doing as the high priest. He sleeps not because he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to eat, although I guess he could come to earth if he wanted to and eat and drink and be, be that way. But he doesn't need to. 24-7. 365 days. He's available. He's there. He is Approachable, touchable, loving, and loves us and wants us to make it into the kingdom. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the pride priest enters into the holy place every year with blood for others. For then must he often have suffered... for since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the world, has He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look to Him shall He appear the second time without sin to salvation. Our high priest lives today to be a loving high priest. He wants you to come to to him. He wants us to pray and to confess our sins if we have them. He wants us to um, believe the plan that's laid out of for all of mankind but especially for the children that are being called today, you and I that are being called today. He wants us to believe these holy days and what they portray and how important they are in the life of those that are being called. Brethren, this is a wonderful blessing to understand the Day of Atonement and all of God's holy days and his plan for you and I and for all of the world.